Africa, the dark continent, the land of the upright man, the motherland. It's a musically inspiring expanse full of mystery and legend. Africa is a rhythm and music deep in her soul. She possesses an auditory cultured history that consumes all that lay eyes upon her. Those that are touched by the spiritual force will retain it deep within. She will dwell inside of you and build. She will infect you and she will devour. And ultimately, she will rise forth in song. This is the bewitching genre I bring you today. I reveal artists that have been touched by the magic of Africa. A genre called Africadabra. <laughs> Dave, that was, that was the most poetic thing you've ever written. Thanks, man. All me, baby. So you, so you didn't just borrow those, those phrases from a song about Africa? No, but I did heavily rely on uh, thesaurus.com and synonym.com. <laughs> no, you're... you're Relying on Africadabra. <laughs> hey, you turn it into a dude who writes good, just like you and me and all, all, all of us, too. Uh, <laughs> all other people. I just, I just made a minimal effort, guys. Let's not break our necks sucking each other's dicks just yet. Podcast! Welcome to the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast, the only podcast on the internet or the radio or anything that creates musical genres every week and counts them down from 10 to 1, depending on which one song in that genre we think is better than the other one. My name is J.D. Riznar. <laughs> you really got that down and concise, J.D. <laughs> That's what I do. I'm J.D. In the captain's chair today. Hey, what's up? I'm David Lyons. Another guy who's here. I'm Hollywood Steve. And then... Hey, this is Hunter. Ooh, sexy Hunter's back. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of us, but we invented the term yacht rock. Yeah, and that was us. it sort of exploded into the world, and everybody loves that term now. But because we invented the term yacht rock, uh, we like to throw a bone to the yacht rock genre every week. And Hunter, what are we listening to today? Well, I'll tell you in a second after I get through this first paragraph. You know, in 1992, country bop, bop, ba- bop band Restless Heart fulfilled their destiny as, become, as becoming for a short period the New Eagles, the original country bop band, especially with the song uh, When She Cries, which I always thought was, in, was by the Eagles, but it's not. It's by Restless Heart. But on that album, Big Iron Horses, it had an outlier. Extremely sultry and smooth. It's a song called Tell Me What You Dream. A song that wouldn't, it wouldn't make a country chart because it's not country. But it hit number one on the adult contemporary charts. And it's a cover of an actual eagle. Yes, one eagle went legit smooth for one song and Restless Heart capitalized it. Listen to this song. Listen. It's got some sizzling E piano. Like week after week, it's been dr- being drilled into my ears and into my head that electric piano is the most important instrument in yacht rock. Who is this, Hunter? Well, I'm going to tell you. This is that song, the original version, the much smoother Tell Me What You Dream from the 1984 Timothy B. Schmidt solo album Playing It Cool. This version, <laughs> version, this version features Steve Lukather on guitar and Jeff Percaro with his subtly smooth but intricate drumming. It's not 100% on the Yahtzee scale, but I think it's well over 50. We'll get to that. Uh, also, just to justify Timothy B. Schmidt a little mo- bit more, he's the only eagle actually from California. Although, to be fair, Ra- Randy Meisner? Mesner? Meisner. Meisner? He uh, moved here as a teenager. So but uh, old Timmy B. worked with Steely Dan on Royal Scam and Asia. Crucial to, you know, the yacht rocking. He's been on albums by Boz Skaggs, Dame Donahue, Mark Jordan, Gary Wright, and Boona. Boona! Also, he worked Wait, with... what's Boona's real name? Terrence Here's, Boylan. Terrence Boylan. But Hunter right. got to say Boona. I'm so excited. Also, uh, he worked with a little band named Toto on their IV album. Mm. Don't know if you ever heard it, with background vocals... You know, on a little-known uh, song about the motherland. So I uh, thought it'd be nice to hear from old Timmy yeah, B. yesterday. Yeah, nice touch. Yeah, Tim, Timothy B. Schmidt is Steely Dan's man on the inside of the Eagles, for sure. Oh, yeah, they needed to keep a spy in there. Absolutely. And of all the Eagles, he knows Smooth better than any of them. He rolled around in the rock tumbler that is the Steely Dan studio and came out way smoother than when he came in. Unfortunately... 
Lost in the garbage disposal of the Eagles organization, he was never allowed to shine. The closest thing the Eagles, as the Eagles ever came, was from uh, to Yacht Rock was from a song on the the long run with uh, I can't tell you why, and that is also a Timothy B. Smith song. But the rest of the Eagles drag it back as they will. And so on this one, he got he replaced Henley and Fry. I think that did the trick. Yeah. Replace him with smoothing smooth. Yeah. This dude was also uh, in Poco. And as you know, that's the uh, Sausalito bass band that gave us Jimmy Messina. And Randy Miser was in Poco as well, but that's probably where he and Timothy met, as old Tim was Randy's replacement. Yeah, and he actually, I think, I think Randy actually took his place originally. No. That's how that story goes. Um, he was a pretty known, well-known session musician, too, and played with a lot of great artists, but kept getting sucked back into that shit stain of music that is right. the Eagles. All right, let's score this before it ends. Oh, um, listen, it, it edges slightly more sultry than smooth, and thanks to that ultra-sultry sex, saxophone, but uh, yeah, the electric saxophone. piano and personnel, the Steely Dan connection, I give this like a 77 on the Yachtsky scale. For me, this is the tail end of Yacht Rock coming out in 84. It's kind of like that Toto, I'll be over you sort of uh, era. And I love it. I give it an 82. Steve? 59. I'm going to give it a uh, 69. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bro. <laughs> I didn't have my calculator going. Hopefully you guys at home did. If not, hit the little 15 back button a couple times. And then email us. Let us know what the score was. Let's do this. Whoa, shit. Oh, boy. Here it is. Old poop and poppy. <laughs> Ah, uh, welcome to Africa Dabra, everybody. We're really happy to have you here with us today. This is Dave. I'm in the captain's seat. Today we're going to take you on a safari. Get it? Through some of the artists that have been touched by Africa. Wait, I don't get Wait, it. Wait, yeah, hold on. Safari? I don't get it. Are we going uh, on the internet? Are I we think surfing? it's a brand of Jeep, maybe? Oh, we're gonna riding in the Jeep yeah. on the internet. Oh, okay. Uh, we're going to yeah. go surfing. The old browser. The dark continent breeds emotion. It sure does. What are some of the first things you think about when you think of Africa? 80s charity aids, the bad kind of aids? Pyramids. Pygmies. Jello Biafra. Female circumcision, blood diamonds, cannibals, apartheid, the movie Congo, Africanized bees. Denial. I was thinking Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness or the 2010 World Cup and its famous mascot, the Vuvuzela, or maybe War, Famine, and Pestilence. Army of the Four Horsemen. I think that of a geographic area the size of North America and Australia combined, cocked and ready for first world development and unlimited international economic activity, were it not for the racist attitudes of the West and internal warfare, the roots of which can be traced to the racist attitudes of the West. That and the desert. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of the it. The spreading Sahara. Africa wears like a desert hat. Figured did a little desert hat on top of that continent. And denial just ain't a river in Cleveland, fellas. I'll tell you what we should be thinking about is the roots. The roots of rhythm. The oldest known African documentations are paintings on rocks in Algeria that could be as old as 6,000 B.C. And do you know what's important about African music, Hunter? You care uh, to guess? I'm going to guess some sort of flute, some it's, sort of wind, woodwind that's made out of a, out of like a rod or a, a, a natural sort of grass stalk. That's right. It's percussion. Oh. While there are many musical regions across the continent, <laughs> they're all diverse. It's like I said, African music is based on rhythm. And I've read that uh, Western classical music is boring to most African ears. I must be African. Yeah, me too. <laughs> because it's got melody and harmony. But it's rhythmically dull. Uh, I haven't actually traveled to Africa to confirm this, though, unlike some of the artists we're going to hear today. Uh, but there is there is a great deal like super legit funk music that came out of West Africa in the 70s because uh, they started cross-pollinating with African-American musicians like James Brown. Like, wow, what's that guy doing? Like, Let's do that. And then he'd hear them and go, oh, shit, I want to do that. And they just go back and forth off each other, influencing each other. That reminds me, did you ever give me my Africa Oye book back? Yes. Oh, okay. Good thing you asked about it on the podcast. All right. Yeah, making sure. Um, all right. Other distinguishing aspects, uh, vocals, they tend to be more rhythmic than melodic. Many people singing at once, establishing a bass as opposed to creating a harmony. I believe this may have something to do with the vast amount of tonal languages of the various regions affecting the singing. 
Like all cultures that predate written languages, music and dance were used to tell stories. And in tribal societies, everybody was in on it. I know it's hard to do, but imagine a drum circle that isn't fucking stupid. Uh, that's hey. very difficult. Whoa, hey, hey, go easy on drum circles. If it weren't for drum circles, all those marijuana hippies would just be stabbing everybody they see. I don't think that's accurate, and they can go fuck themselves. Now I'm going to tell you what makes the genre. Oh, please do. It consists of an already established artist or band that somehow becomes touched by Africa and in doing so executes one or more of the following. One, they adapt the traditional vocals and or instruments of traditional African music into their songs. Two, they take a personal African experience and adapt it into their songs. Or three, they express their global opinion on an African issue. I liked when you put it this way in our personal life, when you're talking mm-hmm. to us in our personal when lives. I, when I pitched it? Yeah. Uh, you said, a Western artist goes to Africa and Africadabra, they're able to write in an African style. Because because white musicians are just that talented. Yeah. yeah. And Africa just has that magic in the air. Like somehow thousands of years of rich tribal culture can be jammed into a Western brain while riding in a safari jeep for two weeks. Exactly. And they can, and they can comprehend the entire continent. The vast... The vast mass of Africa and all the millions and millions of people that live there, they can comprehend it all instantly. And the combined trillions of years of personal history, yeah, hey, right off the bat. Well, Has anybody here ever been to Africa? No. Nope. no. Awesome. Like, like many of these Let's artists, uh, before we get into the countdown, I just want to make it clear, the African direction is a standout and not part of their wheelhouse. Of course, the sound of the music will take precedent over the content, but it's an arbitrary genre anyway, so who gives a fat fuck? Let's count down some jams. The T, the E, the N... This should be a good one. Yeah. This is this is a lesson in cutting the tails off your bumpers, everyone. Yeah. Oh, here's oh, this a, is a great one. one. Yeah. And I know what you're all thinking. The greatest song about Africa at number 10. Here's the thing. It's a little overplayed. And frankly, <laughs> I always thought these guys had never been to Africa. Turns out I was right. <laughs> I finally did some research, and Jeff Picaro explains it was written from the perspective of a white boy trying to write a song about Africa. And since he's never been, he has to rely on what he's seen on TV. I think he's right. I yeah. think it is written from that perspective, except that I don't think he became self-aware about that lyrical perspective until after they were called out on it. Like how Tommy Wiseau describes The Room as a dark comedy. Yeah. I think it's that kind wait, of thing. That's my personal wait, theory. At, oh, this is Africa by Toto. Yeah, I was getting in on that. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was about to say, uh, David Page says that he watched a late night documentary on Africa and saw the pain and suffering and tried to imagine what the what he would have done if he were there. I guess he would have blessed the rains. Oh yeah. Point is, Toto hasn't been to Africa. They're just singing about it in this song called Africa. Um, I read what uh, David Page (laughs) said, uh, where his perspective was on this, and it's about a humanitarian aid worker who wants to go to Africa to help and when he gets there he loves it and he loves helping people and it it brightens his life but then he falls in love and he has to decide between leaving and starting a family or staying and doing the work that he loves that's what this song is Wait, about. so he falls in love with a woman who's not in Africa? No, uh, I think it's another Africa? humanitarian. Maybe there's a woman back home? Yeah, or something, I don't know. But that's what it is. That's what... Wow. Now, don't, the, don't question me. The question David Page. Hey, internet? did you guys know that Timothy B. Schmidt uh, was a background singer on this song? Yeah. Holy shit. The guy from the Eagles? I yeah. knew that. I looked it up on Discogs.com, saw everybody who plays on it. Yeah, this this song has a lot of Totos in it. It's even... It's so Toto, it even has Poppy Picaro. Yeah. Uh, uh, Joe Picaro, he's playing marimba on this song. Uh, give this song a 90 on the Yasky scale, by the way. Yeah. Marimba, as I believe, is, a, is an instrument that originated in Africa. Yeah, I love this song so much I wanted to put it at number one as well, but I didn't. So I'm going to give it a 94. Are we, are we ranking it? Yeah, Why not? If you want to. Yeah. And everybody at home, you go ahead and rank it, too. Uh, you guys you guys remember the term Mondegreen? came up no. uh, a while back. It's a fancy word for misheard lyrics. Oh, like Jimi Hendrix, excuse me, while I this kiss guy. this guy. That's a Mondegreen. Or okay. uh, no use for names, Justified Black Guy. Justified Black Guy. That's probably the most famous one. Uh, this song is a big one for me, and I only realized it last weekend when I was actually reading the lyrics for the first time. 
I've even said it on the podcast before. I yeah. always thought Kilimanjaro rose like a leprous above the Serengeti. You know, like a female leopard. Mm-hmm. Turns out a female leopard is a leopardess, and Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus oh. over the Serengeti. And I wouldn't have guessed that since Olympus is Greek. But I, there you go. I was really upset when I saw that you figured that out by this time because <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna talk about that. That you I, always say leprous. I uh, thought that a leprous was a female leper, which goes to show how much I know. I'm saying I'm, Olympus. To be fair, it's another mountain. Yeah. It's a good analogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like if a, a Greek might write that Mount St. Helens rises like Kilimanjaro over Portland's condos. Think about that one. Wow. So here's a little. I'm thinking about yeah, it. Hold on. Mount St. Helens, like, blew the fuck up. Are there a lot it's of a mountain? It's a place. mountain above that, you, that rises above. Are there a lot of condos yeah. in Portland? Well, a lot of condos in Portland. Oh, actual. Oregon has Mount Hood. They also That's you can see point. Mount St. Helens from Portland. Yeah. Mount Hood's bigger. I was I should have thought of that one. <laughs> Um, but condos, though. Mm-hmm. Condos, though. So in case you were wondering, here's a little Toto 101 for you. David Page sings lead vocals on this one. And for those of you not familiar with David Page, he's won, uh, he won the Toto Intraband Jeff Lynn Lookalike Contest. He's the one that looks most like Jeff Lynn and Toto. So congratulations, David Page. And if you like David Page's voice here, check I him do. out on other Toto songs, Lovers in the Night, which is off four, and The Terrible Stranger in Town off the Terrible Isolation album. You know, he also stars in the video to this uh, song, which makes even less sense than the song itself. <laughs> Asks more questions than it answers. The end, the I, the end, the E. <laughs> Some nice, nice bumpers today. They're not bad. Yeah. A little, little taily. Mm-hmm. But to be fair, DJ Empirical, who did these, mm-hmm. sent them in before, before I started lecturing on the tails. Oh, right. Yeah. Boy, hey, I'm just glad we got people sending in bumpers. Me too. We're out of them, too. Send them in. <gasps> Talk more on that uh, later. Okay. Fuck, I'm going to have to start making some more. Oh, well, what's going this on? This is beautiful. Like, yeah, hey, can I say is... something right off the top yeah. here? Yeah. I hear birds in this song. Yeah. You got a good ear. They They're got those uh, in Africa? This is uh, an example of someone that I think actually has been to Africa and was moved by it. Uh, it's uh, John Denver with African Sunrise. Uh, he didn't adapt his style in the slightest, but instead of sitting in the Rocky Mountains or listening to the sounds of the Shenandoah River, this country boy is singing in his African village listening to hungry babies cry. He also calls Africa his home, which leads me to believe John Denver st- suffered from severe regional insecurity. I actually did research on this, and you're right. He, he was constantly writing songs about places he wasn't from, like West Virginia. Colorado was a place he just wanted to live and ended up moving to, but only after Rocky Mountain High. Yeah. Because uh, apparently his dad was in the military and they moved around a lot, so he right. never, he he never was, knew uh, where home was. He was born in New Mexico. He was mm-hmm. uh, the pick for uh, the artist from New Mexico and, in the States. And spoiler alert. <clears throat> fucked a puppet. His last name isn't even... <laughs> his last name isn't even Denver. It's it's Deutschendorf. Yeah, he just named himself after a city in Colorado because yeah, uh, he liked it. It's Deutschendorf it means German little person. Yeah. To be to be fair, in the song Rocky Mountain High, he talks about, so, so what is it? I was born in the summer of my 27th year, coming home to a place I'd never been before. So I guess he's owning it a little oh. bit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I understand that lyric now a yeah. lot better. So here's a question about this song. So those birds at the beginning, mm-hmm. how do you think that John Denver got the birds to sing what he wanted them to sing? Uh, what you do, and I, I did this in South America, not in uh, Africa. Squeeze their balls. You fire, yeah, yeah, you just give, you give them a little squeeze. Oh. Or you fire a shotgun in the air right before you start recording because it scares them and they like, ah, and then they do exactly what you want. Oh, that's great. But you have to oh, point the, the gun it? away from them. Yeah, or else you got a real mess. Um, Dave, that, wah, ah, 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 is that how the Disturbed guy got that, that noise in, at the end of that Disturbed song? I, I hope balls. to never know the answer to that question. Squeezed his balls. Yeah. Um, also, John Denver mentions roosters in the same verse as starving kids. And I'm, I wonder why John Denver doesn't kill the roosters and feed them to the starving kids. I think he's so overwhelmed by the magic of Africa, he can't put those 
those two simple things together, he can just sit down with his guitar and write a song. He's also a very gentle soul yeah, about the African sunrise. Dude's been up all night. I, 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 I do want to to uh, say that the he did go to Africa. I, I did my research. I found out he did go to Africa. He started a bunch of charitable organizations, and he worked to solve uh, world hunger and made a bunch of trips to Africa. And he was later denied an invitation to We Are the World because, and this is the real reason, he's such a wuss, everyone else thought yeah, it would hurt their image. Let's, let's think about what Hunter says there. It's not wasn't invited, it was Denied, denied no. an invitation. Like he wanted to no, come. No, he specifically said, please, hey, can uh, I come? And hey, they fellas. said, no. What about me? Oh, wait, I like what Steve has to say here about plight. Yeah, this is, the, the, lyrically, this is a song about the white man taking pity on the plight of the poor African. Oh, yeah. Which I, this is the sort of thing I like to think of as plight porn, which allows white liberals and Christian missionaries alike to feel very noble about themselves. And yeah, this is uh, number three on my uh, my list of these songs. They express their global opinion on African issues. Yep. Yeah, and the song before this one, fun fact, is uh, more plight porn called Trail of Tears. It's Native American plight porn. It's got Native American flute in it, and it even drops Andrew Jackson's name, and Riley slices at the travesty of his appearance on the $20 bill. Hmm. He there also go, could have been really moved f- from helping people in Africa. Dry your eyes, Bono. There's that tail again. There's a tail. Beautiful tail. Beautiful tail. Speaking of Bono. Nice piece of tail. Uh, Well, you can't have a show about Africa without Bono. No, you can't. So here he is with Wave of Sorrow. Wait, isn't this Dirty Diana? I wish. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) You know when you stay to take a weight off of me. I know your every move, so won't you just let me be. Come on, it's Dirty Diana. And saw the plight of the folks, so I came home with my guitar and a roof. I cracked some song yokes. Some jokes. Yeah. Uh, um, the story goes that Bono got involved after Live Aid, and uh, this was a throwaway song from the Joshua Tree called Birdland. He uh, went back and fleshed it out 20 years later to tell people what he saw 20 years before when he and his wife visited Africa and it made him sad. No, oh, yeah. It, sorry, go ahead. No one makes me feel like I'm not living up to my charitable potential more than Bono. This guy's out in the world making charities happen. But actually, everybody in the world makes me feel like I'm not living up to my charity potential because I don't give any money or time to anything. Wow. So thanks a lot, Bono, for making me feel real small. Well, you give a lot of time to your own children. Yeah. You're raising them upright. That's selfish. I'm raising my own beautiful little clones. <laughs> and sending them out into the mud the world with my uh, amazing point of view. Don't give to charity, kids. <laughs> uh, Dave, you were saying uh, it was 20 years later. I, I, I was like, what the hell was this situation? Uh, this was apparently not officially released until Bono redid his vocals, and this came out on the 20th anniversary reissue of The Joshua Tree in 2007. Exactly. exactly. And it was originally called Birdland, and he went back and reworked it, refleshed it out, and then it became known as Wave of Sorrow. Right. Birdland being, being the famous jazz club in New York because mm-hmm. at the time of the Joshua Tree U2 was really fascinated by America but here's Bono saying I'm no longer fascinated by America I've discovered it I'm fascinated I'm with I'm, I'm fascinated yeah. with Africa now I like that Bono came to America and came went back to England and went have you heard of this country? <laughs> America they have this the desert. other one that starts with an A? Have you heard Billy Holiday on the radio? <laughs> There's there's also a bunch of, if you listen to the lyrics of this song there's a whole bunch of biblical subtext in here which takes the whole plight porn thing to a whole new like messiah type level you know the, the white messiah of Bono from Ireland because that's what he really wants to be I like the part later in this song when he raps a little bit he kind of raps kind of like the edge raps you mean at the when, end yeah at oh. the end when he raps mm-hmm. the edge raps when they when you two went into they try to turn into a rap band with that song numb yeah that was kind of good though Hunter and I were talking about that song being a droner, which is the genre we were talking about. No, it's another genre. Yeah, it, it, but yeah, but it, it, the music of, evokes that feeling. It actually yeah. works. It's also a nice genre that we don't have a name for yet where somebody else in the band steps up Bone and throw. takes the, a Bone throw, yeah. 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 
Is, uh, let, all right, we'll let we'll let him uh, have a song on yeah. this one. Step ups. Um, yeah, we'll you know, I give him credit for going to Africa, but because he didn't really write the song until 20 years after he went, it was you know Josh, it's not exactly fresh in his mind. Yeah, and I feel like maybe to them Joshua Tree was like the uh, what was the gift, the giving tree. Uh, just kept giving like they kept going back to the shit pile of the songs that didn't make it on and they're like hey here's one we wrote back then called the sweetest thing and that one was a piece of garbage it was better than this one though yeah this much better than this one I have, I, it's been a very 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 long time since I've listened to the Joshua tree from front to back but I can pretty much hear immediately why this did not make it <laughs> No. That's the rapping. Blessed are the tin can cardboard slums. Now you can talk. He really, uh, he really took it upon himself to blessed are the cardboard slums. Mm-hmm. God damn, does he have a Jesus complex? Yeah, he does. Yeah. Blessed is the Malibu coast that the Edge wants to tear up to build a house on. <laughs> That's a true thing going on. Yeah. Yeah, him and David Geffen are in cahoots trying to keep people off the public beach. Can't right. own the beach, man. Not in hey, California. man, this is my beach. Stay off the edge of it. Ooh. <laughs> Good one. Burn. Fighting. Well, here's Topical. one from the dudes that really wanted to get a message to you if your name was Rudy. This one was inspired by an anti-apartheid rally in 1983 when African revolutionary Nelson Mandela was in prison for being against apartheid. It's this the is specials! Free Nelson Mandela by the specials. Or actually by this point... Specials AKA. They were the specials AKA. What actually. did that mean? And it's also... Also known as. And I, this song is also known as Just Nelson Mandela, which made it hard yes. for me to find it on Spotify. Yeah. And they're all, they were actually the special AKA, not the specials oh. AKA. I assume... That they wanted people to just say, the specials, also known as the special, also known as. Like a really elaborate way of making people say ATM machine. Or VIP posse. That was Vanilla Ice's fan quote. <laughs> <laughs> and also his posse. Yeah. Um, this song was immensely popular. It became a hit all over the world and became an anthem in South Africa where it started being played at sporting events and anti-apartheid rallies or, uh, what is it, the uh, ANC? African National Congress. Rallies, yeah. Um, and I appreciate the elements of South African music incorporated in the song, especially the intro vocals. They were recorded by a couple session singers and, according to Wikipedia, some girls that drummer Josh Bradbury, quote, met in a bar. Whoa, really? John Bradbury? Yeah, what did I say? Josh. No, I was thinking of Toto. I, I, I read that the, the, the background vocal band was known as Aphrodisiac. When they opened the song. Also, Elvis Costello, who produced this, uh, joined them. Uh, they were known for working with Costello, the jam, Howard Jones, Madness. And there's one other fun fact about Aphrodisiac, Steve. Oh, yeah. One of the singers on the song's chorus was Karen Wheeler, who later went on to sing for Soul to Soul. Yeah, back, oh, back, back to back, life. Back to life, yeah. Back to reality? Yep. Ah. Karen. <laughs> Good old That's Karen. a jam. Um, I wanted to link Ska to Africa. So here oh, it goes. Oh, good. Here's some history. So Ska was born in Jamaica, mm-hmm. the son of reggae, and is named after the scat, 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 scat of the guitar. That was the father of reggae. Was it? Yeah, Ska came before reggae. How about that? I got that wrong. But anyway, so Ska... <laughs> yeah, real Dave Lyons Just imagine, imagine I was right and Ska was the son of reggae, okay? So Ska's <laughs> grandfather is Calypso music, which was born in Trinidad and Tobago, begat from Kaiso music from West Africa, specifically the region that is modern-day Nigeria. Kaiso translates to everything from go on and continue to bravo. So... Even from its roots, Ska had an exciting, crowd-pleasing music, musical quality, especially to 14-year-old white kids. So thank you. That was my knowledge distilled from 10 minutes of research. I feel I feel like I've taken a, an entire course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. History Musicology of, of Cari- course. Caribbean music, Caribbean music. Hmm. <laughs> All right, you're going to hear the Africa Dabber right off the bat on this one. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. Oh, yeah. This is Mama Africa by Peter Tosh. 
And clearly this is Peter Tosh's Jamaican sound, but he's throwing a little uh, native percussion in there. And clearly Jamaica's not in Africa, but luckily in the last segment I traced reggae back to West African Kaiso music. Um, sorry to interrupt. Uh, Kaiso, which means continue. Ah, Akuna Matata. Akuna Matata, JD. I also was going to uh, talk about, but apparently JD didn't read that. I did not. Nah, listen, I was really proud of my little paragraph I wrote, and I really that was wanted good. to build it. Was very on informative, it. and it isn't boring. Most Caribbean music, you can pretty much consider it African. It's at least fifty percent, if mm-hmm. and most likely more than fifty percent. Yeah, reggae actually made its way back to Africa and became a and, popular and then in, style there, yeah, West Africa yeah. particularly. Yeah, and it's like sending your boy off to America to become a doctor and then come back and he gets to your country small music? country. He's into country music and he performs surgeries on the people in your village. I think. Are you listening, Hollywood? <laughs> <laughs> um, and the reason I'm why I'm going to come up with a really funny name for that movie. It's going to be great. Oh. We're not going to say it on the podcast no. though, because we haven't come up with it yet. Um, this is another one of those uh, longing for the motherland kind of songs. The allure of Africa is calling out to you, like the way wild dogs cry out in the night. Uh, <laughs> Peter strongly identified with Africa, and he wrote this song because of it. I gotta say, for all I know about reggae now, it makes me want to gouge my eardrums out. It's so boring. I think reggae is more boring than the Eagles. The problem might be, I need probably need to smoke a bunch of marijuana cigarettes before it will sound all good. reggae. I was all reggae. What about like dance hall and like all the? We're talking about classic style reggae. Are you talking about like the just straight up like uh, straight Bob up Marley roots reggae yeah. stuff? Yeah. So not like any of the Jimmy Cliff stuff or anything. Probably like that. Jimmy Cliff too. Jimmy Cliff is a little mm. bit more melodic. He's a little bit more R and B. What's Jimmy Cliff song? The harder they come. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I, that makes I don't like any of it. Many rivers to many rivers to cross. This cross. is boring. What, more fun facts. Oh, former I hate whaler. reggae. I just want to know why, want, why you I, hate reggae. It's boring. Yeah. More I, fun, more fun the only, facts. The only time reggae ever really sounded great to me was when I was like really fucked up on cold medicine. So oh, I there think there's go. something to your theory. Huh. I like I'm, reggae. Yeah, I like I'm reggae. always, I'm always like completely flummoxed by the amount of reggae that's inspired by a religion that claims Ethiopian Emperor Haile Selassie the first was the literal incarnation of Jesus Christ on Earth. Like when Ameri- like yeah, you when always Americans, say that. When Americans listen to reggae, does anybody ever stop smoking weed long enough to think about the religious beliefs well, behind reggae? What you just described was Rastafarianism, right. which is the right. basis, and cannabis is used in a spiritual so, yeah. form, so you're yeah. not supposed to you're stop. Only, and an only spiritual form. You're, so you're not supposed I'm to I'm sure stop. that's why all the frat boys in America are listening to Bob Marley and smoking cannabis. But does because, anybody because in America stop what sacrament. they're doing to think about how silly their religion is? Yeah, the origin it's, story is kind of... Yeah, like, it's it's all pretty wacky. I think I know I don't like reggae. It's because I'm an anxious guy, and I'm like, why are you playing this music so slow? Where are you going? Where are you going with this? Come on, what's next? you can't chill out and just, like, chill out. just yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, now I have to think about religion, too? I like it even less. No, right. Steve is the one who's trying to make you think about religion. Well, let's uh, yeah, make it exciting. That's, that's let's talk about, about murder. Ooh! Former whaler Peter Tosh made this album towards the end of his life. He was murdered four years later by a group of thugs trying to rob him. It's a really weird story as one of them was a man that Tosh had befriended and tried to work with. They tortured him for a while, uh, thinking that would make him give up the cash that he didn't have. I'm pretty sure he was broke when he died. However, he just returned from a trip and people kept stopping by to welcome him home. So these thugs were like torturing him and holding him at gunpoint, but people kept stopping like, hey, oh. And the thugs are growing more and more annoyed, so they shot him in the head, killed a couple of people, one of whom was named Doc Brown. Hmm. Oh, were, were these guys Libyan terrorists? Uh, it's unclear. Do, do you remember in the 80s when the Libyans were still the villains? Hey, they're still the they're still villains, Steve. Benghazi, Benghazi, Benghazi. They kill our ambassadors. Wait, they're not the villains. Hillary Clinton is the villain. This is airing after the election. God damn it, I hope she won. Oh I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Trump's still calling it a fix. Uh, it's... it's 
And there's a lot of conspiracy theories uh, out about Peter Tosh's death, and particularly because he was murdered right after he released his most politically charged, yeah. anti-imperial, anti-war album, No Nuclear War. It was right on the face. Uh, it's not his best work, but it's definitely his most political. No. And then he was murdered days after. Uh, he should have changed his name to Tosh Point Gun at Me. Yeah. Tosh Point Gun at Me, people. Well, he uh, also pissed off a <laughs> Why lot. Why would he change his name to that? J.D. doesn't make any sense. Professional writer. It's called Forward Thinking, Hunter. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's Foreshadowing. Cause, it's because it's Keith Richards' story where he didn't get killed. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but that was, story, well, this is a long song. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, he was pissing people off. Uh, Keith Richards uh, had signed um, had signed him to, uh, or he was on the Stones label for a couple of years, was staying at Keith's Jamaican home. Keith said, hey, all right, I'm coming back. Uh, piss off. All right. All right, it's Keith here. It is, it is. <laughs> um, and Peter Tosh wouldn't leave, so Keith Oi. said, you better get the fuck out of my house. Ended up, depending on the story you hear, either had to pull a gun on him or show up with a machete to get him to leave. And I guess he was raising goats in the house. It was just a real shit show. Man, <laughs> I ought to change me name to Tosh Point a Gun at Me. Yeah, makes sense. No, it wasn't. Australian Peter Tosh. Yeah. <laughs> and then throw a, throw, throw a shrimp on the bobby. Point a gun at me. I should raise goats in me house. That's not a gun. Go root a bogan in a mopatazzi, mate. I hate Australia. <laughs> This is terrible African drumming right here. I did some polyrhythms at the end there. All right, Dave's leaving. I'll see you guys. Steve's got a paragraph. It's cool. Guys, welcome time. to Iowa. The show me some corn state. And we're listening to the Everly Brothers, uh, neither of whom was born in Iowa, but both of whom grew up in the Iowa town of Shenandoah. Uh, this first song we're going to play here is Bird Dog. Almost all their songs are like two and a half minute songs, so we'll probably fit another one. Uh, this is about a dude what? who really likes the ladies, but they can't make up their mind about, like, first they say, like, he's a bird. And then they say, like, he's a dog. Like, no, he's a bird dog. See, you think it's going to be like a dog who likes birds, because that's what they call ladies in England. But no, it's about this guy, Johnny. He's going to sing a sweet bird song and then wolf hunt the Everly Brothers' baby, which I assume means their girlfriend, but maybe their literal baby. Anyway, the bird dog is some bizarre genetic mutation, like a snake shark or an oyster hippo or something. Actually, a bird dog is a dog that helps you hunt birds. Iowa has some excellent pheasant hunting. No idea if there's good quail hunting. They mentioned quails in this song, but either way, I still don't get the stealing girls metaphor. But yeah, he. But they keep calling like he's a bird. Like they're not calling him the classic bird dog. Right, right, right. Which that's that's the puzzlement of this particular tune. Hey, I'm back, everyone. Did I miss anything? Nope. No. Nope. We're in Iowa. We're in Iowa, oh, Dave. Listen to the Everly Brothers. Iowa. Great. I like yeah. these guys. Iowa's also best known as the home state of new metal stars Slipknot. One of my friends lives in the same neighborhood in Des Moines as their lead singer, Corey Taylor. Other than Slipknot, not many other rock musicians, but lots of jazz guys born in Iowa. Uh, early jazz trumpeter Bix Beiderbeck, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, Bop-era trumpeter Art Farmer. Uh, bassist, not, not country bop, though. Uh, no, not country bop. Just bebop. These guys were straight-up bobcats. Uh, bassist Charlie Hayden, who's famous for his work with avant-garde jazz pioneer Ornette Coleman. I think I saw that Glenn Miller was, too, but I can't remember. Uh, other notables, cellist and disco producer Arthur Russell, who was a prominent figure on the downtown New York avant-garde scene of the 80s, and music man composer Meredith Wilson. Hmm. Here's a second Everly Brothers song. Uh, they did the original version to several songs that became bigger hits as covers later on. This is one of them, When Will I Be Loved, which most people know from the Linda Ronstadt version. And they also did the original Love Hurts, which we all know as a proto-power ballad by Nazareth. I didn't know they did that. Oh, I want so to that. You got I want, to, I want so to listen glad, to that song. So glad we get to talk about that. I got this one ready, too. The Nazareth yeah. song? The Elderly Brothers' ah. song. 
You know, I think it's worth a mention that Iowa is the place that Buddy Holly and Richie Valens of the Big Bopper played their last show, mm-hmm. got on their last plane, and slammed into their last cornfield when their Beechwood Bonanza came hurtling towards the earth outside Clear City in 1959. Clear, clear Lake. Clear Lake? Clear Lake. Clear Lake City. Clear Lake City. Clear Lake City. Speaking of cities, I got a bit of a mystery here that's bugging me. I was all excited to ride the train to Space Jam, the Quad City DJs. Uh, the Quad Cities uh, having two of those cities in Iowa being Davenport and Bettendorf, what? which means beds for little people. What, what What's the Quad City Space Jam DJ thing? I don't know what that Come is. Come on, ride the train. Uh, the two Welcome to the jam. Hey, welcome to the You don't like space music, jam. Dave? It's a popular song from not too long ago. Popular rap whoop, song. Whoop. All right, so no? rap song. Okay. I remember the song. I didn't get hey, the reference. Hey, I uh, hey, Dell. I think I was. If you're uh, listening to this, play this song a lot for Dave. Oh God damn it! You know what you've just done. Okay, but here's the thing: the Quad City DJs are from Florida. What the? F- They're not fucking. Isn't that the Quad that's Cities? Why, that's why they do Southern bass music. Here's but, the Quad Florida Cities. It's Tampa. Good one. Tampa Bay. Oh, really nice. Fort Lauderdale yeah. and Key Tampa. Yeah. Key Tampa. Yeah, yeah. popular vacation spot. Key yeah. Tampa. Can we get out of Iowa? They're gonna vote for. Tr- they probably voted for Trump. Yeah. Oh, plug hole. Plug hole. Almost stayed in Iowa. Yeah. Happens right, to a lot well, of people every day, Hunter. Today's plug hole bet is a little song called Something Like a Feeling from the hit FXX TV show You're the Worst. The show was created by my friend Stephen Falk, who also co-wrote this song, which they're selling on iTunes to benefit the Wounded Warriors Project. Something Like a Feeling. iTunes. Steve calls it Yacht Rock, but it's actually really, really good Yacht Rock. I'd give it like a 35 on the Yatsky scale, because not even my friend's charity songs are safe from our harsh criteria for yachtiness. <laughs> this is still a great song, though. The singer has some great loggins-ish growls at the end. But this is a beautiful song on iTunes, something like a feeling. Help our wounded veterans feel better, you goofballs. Buy this great song. Yeah, it does is, sound like uh, a great song. Yeah, right after Steve Falk, our old trivia adversary. Yeah, he's yes, from he is. Trivia Newton-John, right? No, no, no he's no. from Quiz no, we're Tima. From an, oh, trivia we were old trivia Newton-John. He was from Quiz Tima Aguilera. Yeah. yeah, and it's a good song. Not exactly take the good, you take the bad, you take them both there. But there you have. But I will say... <laughs> Best song ever. This is I will a really say it's good a damn, it's a damn song, good yeah. song, and even though he looks evil, um, I'm willing to bury the hatchet. It's not his fault that we always won. <laughs> oh, no, he did his best. All right, we got some more. We got some more charity plugs. And right? it also, yeah, we do. And it also that charity uh, speech landed really hard after JD told us how he doesn't give the charity. I haven't bought this song yet. <laughs> well, go out and buy it. But everybody I'll else it. should. I'll go buy it. I give it to plenty of jar- charities. I, I'll covered. plug a couple of things here. Uh, first, a shout out to Mike Scott and, Sh- and Sean at the uh, Come Take It podcast, which is a Texas pod- podcast about Texas by Texans. I was recently a guest, and I didn't make that description untrue because I was born in Texas, so technically, I'm a Texan. Oh, you were born in Texas? I did I not was, know that. Yeah, I was born in Houston. Boy, does that explain a lot. Yeah. Uh, I was just on episode 166, where we chatted about Willie Nelson's Redheaded Stranger album, hmm. uh, where we determined that, hey, maybe that stranger wasn't such a good guy. <laughs> uh, you can find them on Twitter at at Texas Podcast or go to brainstaple.com slash come and take it. All right. That's the uh, yeah, come take it podcast. Okay. Also, Planet 2020. Uh, I found this little charity. This is one of John Denver's charities. And I thought it was pretty cool because you can buy trees or cooking stoves for countries that need them. Uh, I found it interesting. They plant indigenous t- trees in non-harvest locations and you can pick which country you want to help. Uh, prices vary in Japan. It's over 25 bucks a tree. Fuck that. But in Madagascar, you can get a steal of a deal for 35 cents a tree. What buying a, a thousand trees. Yeah. Buying a thousand trees. Do John Denver proud and uh, go against everything JD stands for by visiting planet2020.org. Oh, and hey, I'm cutting off Bob Seger t-shirts orders on November on November 15th now. 
because we have enough pre-orders for a run and I want to make sure we get them out before Christmas and that all of you who ordered in September shouldn't have to wait much longer just because two weeks worth of losers are afraid to pull the trigger on a life of success. Also, Beyond Yacht Rock t-shirts are currently available at yachtrock.com. They're so good, believe me. Or beyondyachtrock.com. Just oh. bought that and now it goes right to the site. All right. Yeah. Good job, Hunter. The F, the I, the V, the E. All right, back into the uh, back into the old countdown, fellas. I dig this one. This is Public Enemy's very personal attempt to reclaim and reconnect with Africa. It's called Mine Again. The video takes place in Africa and names, at the time, all 53 of the countries that make it up. James Bomb wrote it and said that he and Chuck D talk about the problems of Africa, both past and present. Wait, who's James Bomb? James Bomb's one of the uh, Public Enemy dudes. I think he's one of the newer ones. He may no, have, no, he's he may have since... replaced Terminator X. No, no, no. He's been in it, I think, since... I don't want to say I'm going to be wrong. You no, may, he's been in you it. You might from, be thinking of their their early production uh, the bomb team, the Bomb Squad. Well, where do you think they got their name? Well, at first I thought, hey, Africa. <laughs> That's right. When I heard this song, I thought, oh, Africa changes a lot. I didn't know, like, they probably have to update this for 2016. I didn't know Public Enemy was still releasing albums, and this came out in 2015. So their, their naming of African countries is probably still up to date. But make sure you pay attention. Attention to it, Chuck D. You know, things ever change when you didn't we updated song. Some of the uh, things they specifically discuss in this song is the conflict diamonds um, that are so prevalent, uh, stepping on landmines, which is a huge problem and a worthy cause. Uh, Paul McCartney's one-legged ex-wife was big in the demining cause, even though she's about 50% less likely to step on a landmine. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Let me, I want to change the subject here. I, Dave, I, I want to ask you a question, because your attitude toward most hip-hop hip -hop music is, Get off my lawn with that shit! And everybody knows that Public Enemy makes good music, yeah. but a lot of people, including me, have not kept up with them since the early 90s, when sampling law changed and their signature sound had to change along with it. So, how is it that you found this track from their most recent album. But well, hold on, I just want to say, to be fair, this song's barely a rap. It's like a proto hip hop spoken word song. Nonetheless, it's a good find, Dave. Thank you. I always like Public Enemy, and you can thank uh, the folks in Anthrax for introducing them to me back in 1991. And, and but what made you find this one, like the, the modern the internet day stuff? Probably? Yeah, mostly the internet. D Dave, you also like a little uh, some of the NWA stuff, right? Yeah. So you got your. I'm guessing it's like the fuck the police 911 is a joke subsection. Yeah, you once you once explained it to me that it was hip hop that allowed me to feel smart. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, but no, this was sort of my introduction to hip-hop in the late 80s, early 90s, and this was sort of the genre I latched onto and didn't care for the boastful sort of rapping that came after it. Boastful. The, the boastful sort of rapping. <laughs> these, these, these Negroes boasting about themselves. Who are they to feel confident? Are we done with this one? Uh, I'm ready yeah, for tea I, I feel with like the queen. Guys pretty much put a nail in that coffin. All right. The F, the O, the U, the R. All right. Here at number four, this is uh, Biko, Peter Gabriel. I'm, I'm sure you saw this one coming. Not a single boast in this song. Well, he's bragging about it. It's so much cooler if somebody else talks about how cool you are. Here's a, well, that's why. Well, that's, that's what why, Flavor Flav does. Yeah, that's what hype men do. Yeah, Flavor Flav. Was Send on that dog song. from Cypress Hill. Here's the thing: is that these, all these songs are sort of like a. Matt is not the right word, but it's like a. Africa Dabra. It's it's like it's like a. <laughs> Thank you, Hunter. It's like a it's like a fancy boast without boasting. It's like it's like it's like when ex an exchange student at your high school has gone to Spain. Oh yeah. For a year and, the, and, and they won't comes, stop talking. About she comes back wearing a scarf. Yeah, or your, what these your, songs are like your uh, best friend. Wife's dipshit friend went to uh, 
uh, England and comes back and has a bit of an English accent. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. What's this shit? Uh, this is uh, Stephen Biko, uh, Biko by Peter Gabriel. Uh, Stephen Biko was a great activist in the anti-apartheid struggle. He died in police custody in 1977. Uh, Nelson Mandela said of him he had to be killed in order to prolong apartheid. His death brought apartheid to the forefront of the world's awareness, and it was said that his he did more in death than he ever could in life. And you can find this song on the Peter Gabriel album called Peter Gabriel, where he has a half melty face. Yeah, he did. He released three albums in a row that were all titled Peter Gabriel. This is the, this is off the third one, which is usually usually critics think this is the best one. Why did he have half a melty face? It's the our album art. He's got half. Oh a melty yeah, face. I thought you were just saying that he was old. No, no, no. no. That's Pete Rose. He's he's young oh. and tight. Wow, young and tight. With the art. Wait, we just gotcha. we just took the pepper out of old Pete Rose. Have you seen him on the postseason show on MLB? Uh, uh, no, I don't watch that. No, we don't. Looks like a podcast about music. Yeah. Uh, the album of this version, the album version of this uh, starts with the traditional <laughs> South African songs that were played at Biko's funeral. Oh, that's where you got them from. Hey, okay. Hey, does anybody find it a little odd that Peter Gabriel has two speeds and they are ultra poignant romantic poet and dad joke goofball? <laughs> where does this one fall, Hunter? Uh, uh, ultra poignant romantic poet. But you know, the video for this is exactly like Sledgehammer. Yeah, with the dancing chickens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a, lot a lot of goofy stuff. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of fertility metaphors. Oh, Jesus. I, the, the, the very first verse of this song, he's, he's like listing all the specific, very specific circumstances of where Stephen Biko was killed in police custody. And I think that that clearly inspired that part of U2's Pride in the Name of Love, where Bono gets a specific detail wrong for the sake of poetic license about Martin Luther King's assassination. What, I, was, I looked that up. It was like four shots rang out in mm-hmm. April. What was that? It was early morning, early early morning, morning April 4th. It didn't happen in the morning, I oh. think it was. Yeah, and, he, and uh, Bono also said he got stabbed a bunch of times afterwards, and he didn't. Just, uh, just, but he just trying to make the song work. He, I, Bono didn't say that, guys. Like, you should see how serious these guys are. Look at me right now. You guys are idiots. Okay, keep, keep going with fun facts. I got another fun fact. I got a fun fact. JD's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a less fun fact. Uh, apparently, apparently this was the song that inspired uh, Steve Van Zant to write Sun City from the AIDS episode. Did Peter Gabriel play Sun City after he released this song? Because that would be really fucking awful. Gauche. Nope. He had a very gauche. He had a five-year residency there. Oh, and he claimed from his private jet that he was acting as a double agent. Just kidding, just kidding, Skeet, Stevie Gabes, or Petey Gabes. <laughs> Stevie. Did you call him Skeet? Petey Gabes. Skeet, Skeet Gabes. Skeety. Me, me and Petey Gabes like to joke around, but seriously, he was not in that AIDS song, Sun City, so maybe he didn't care about it so much. Hmm. Yeah, he didn't do any of the charity stuff, uh, the group charity stuff, the AIDS work, did he? He probably actually gave a shit ton of money to good charity. Probably. He probably seems like he played a lot of benefit concerts, though. Around. He, was one of, he was one of those artists that all the really, really super super PC liberals love back in the 80s. But he wasn't he wasn't uh, being an Englishman, he wasn't in USA for Africa or Northern Lights. So fuck him. I mean, doing charity concerts is easy. You do your show, people cheer for you. It feels yeah. really good. Being in We Are the World is hard. You got to stay there all stand night. Stand next to Bette Midler. Yeah, listen to Steve Perry talk to you all night long. Keep John and Denver out, you gotta out check, of the building. You got to check your ego at the door too. Uh, yeah. Did you guys see uh, the Richard Attenborough movie about Pico, Cry nope. Freedom? No. Nope. No. The closest thing I've seen to apartheid movies is the Matt Damon soccer movie in District 9. Okay. I saw, um, I think I saw Danny Glover play Mandela in something and kept yelling about it. he was too old for this shit. Danny Glover has played every president in every movie. Hmm. Wait, fun, fun fact. No, that's, that's, that's Morgan Freeman. Or Bill Pullman. What what pre, what? Wait, Danny Glover. What is he? President he's played uh, Mandela, and wasn't he? He was probably in one of those Olympus Has Fallen type movies. Oh, he was uh, in 2012. He was President 2012. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That which is just like Olympus Has Fallen, right? The T, the H, the R, the E, the E. <laughs> His tails. Hey, here we go. 
We're stopping off on Michael Jackson's Wannabe Startin' Something, track one from Thriller. This one's slightly different from the other songs on the list, but it's certainly inspired by Africa. Oh, it certainly is. Steve, you introduced me to this information. You want to kick this off? Absolutely. So, uh, there's this famous chant in the middle of this song where Michael Jackson goes, I'm a same of a song of Michael It's toward the end. Yeah, it's toward the end. Yeah, you, I'm sorry. It's somewhere in the song, okay? Uh, Makosa, I learned this uh, when I took a musicology class in college about African music. Uh, that's a musical genre that originated in Cameroon. Uh, it's sort of like an electric funk type dance music. And Cameroonian saxophonist Manu Dibongo, I think I pronounced that right. I think it's, uh, yeah. He had an international hit in 1972 with a song called Soul Makosa. And the chant that opens that song is lifted almost verbatim for wannabe starting something. So we'll play a little bit of it now just so you can hear it. There it is. Yep. So that's almost exactly what Michael Jackson sings when he starts chanting this. Uh, Soul Macasso was a, a big hit around the world, and um, Manu Dibongo, when he first when he heard this Michael Jackson thing, he ended up suing and settled out of court with Michael Jackson for one million francs. Wouldn't be the last time Michael Jackson settled out of court. Heyo. Uh, kids sued Michael Jackson for spending time with them, and they also settled. So, uh, Soul Makosa is a great song. Like Steve said, it was a huge hit in Africa and around the world. It's actually credited with being one of the first disco records. And I can forgive Michael Jackson if he just lifted the rhythm, but it's inexcusable to take the Mama Say, Mama So, Mama Kusa. As cool as it sounds, I mean, the sad part is that Jackson originally said he came up with the line in the heat of the moment in the studio. Then he backpedaled and said that, no, these are words in Swahili. Which is not what they speak in Cameroon. Yeah. And he finally admitted to lifting it directly from Manu. Uh, the really sad part is that Michael Jackson probably fucked kids. Yeah, hey, really sad. Hey, if you ask me, the kids also settled in the sense that there were much sexier pedophiles than Michael Jackson in the 90s. Yeah, he was creepy looking. Yeah. If I were going to go to a sleepover, that is not the first hey, guy I'd choose. I guess I'll let Michael Jackson molest me. Yeah. The sexier pedophiles aren't looking at me. Yeah. I'm settling. <laughs> Out of court. Uh, he got sued again for this in 2007 when he gave Rihanna permission to use the hook on her song Don't Stop the Music, which should not be confused with the Village People movie and album Can't Stop the Music. No, definitely not. People confuse those two all yeah. the time. One of them's really good. Yeah. I have one more fun fact about Soul Makasa. It's also apparently the, like the basic musical foundation of Eddie Murphy's Boogie in Your Butt. <laughs> Which I listened to for the first time when I read that fact. You, the first time you've ever heard you've Boogie never in heard, Your Butt? My God. Nope. What? We had I've never heard it. I've never heard it before. I've referenced it so yeah. many times in the I know. show. I'm aware of its existence. No, I just never I bothered stack, to listen to it. I had a stack of mislabeled cassettes when I was a kid that were like Alvin and the Chipmunks, uh, Suburban Cowboy, but it was really Eddie Murphy Raw and Eddie Murphy Delirious. God. And I'd go out uh, and listen to them in my headphones in my clubhouse. Boogie in Your Butt. Yeah. It's a great song. It's about putting stuff in your butt. Uh, there's a ton of Yacht Soul in this song, including three art the three artists I highlighted on the Yacht Soul album. I love it when a plan comes together. Also, Michael Jackson is credited as playing the bathroom stomp board, mm -hmm. which is a four by three foot piece of masonite covered plywood that he stomped on. <laughs> the guy is troubled, but an amazing musical genius, and I'm pretty sure it's at 3.30 at this song. At yeah. song. There's, there's some weird credits on Thriller. Like, he's also credited actually on Thriller for playing the drum cases. The drum case beater, Michael Jackson, they call him. Where'd you read that? I read that on uh, linernotes.com. Thank you for not guessing. Should we skip ahead welcome. to the Michael Jackson chant part? Do you have a guess as to where it is in the song? No, let's move everybody, on. Everybody, everybody knows, knows it. That's true. The T, the W, the O. All right, we're here at number two, as you just heard, with that trailer that's still going. Clearly African influence here. This is Paul Simon's Under African Skies. Everything about this screams Africadabra. Simon sums, up, sums it up beautifully 
in uh, some of the first lines here. These are the roots of rhythm, and the roots of rhythm remain. Somebody went to Africa. Yep. After Simon's divorce and a critically panned album, Simon was depressed and he became obsessed with a cassette that a friend had given him of South Africa Township music. It might, it might have been, I don't know, I don't know the story, but it could have been there was a compilation going around in the 80s called The Indestructible Beat of Soweto. Could have which been. Which was a township in uh, South Africa. Uh, unclear. Uh, he planned a trip to Johannesburg based on this uh, tape that he'd become obsessed with. And there he spent two weeks recording with African musicians. The tapes eventually evolved into the album Graceland, which top to bottom is pure Africadabra. He ended up touring with South African musicians, playing a mixture of own music and the music of his South African colleagues. All right, guys. I'm willing to wager that Paul Simon profited more from Africa Dabra than anyone in history, including actual Africans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Probably all of them combined. Yep. <laughs> he's, uh, he's the African music's ultimate white Jesus. A real savior. Real messiah. Simon originally received some negative feedback for uh, breaking the cultural boycott imposed by the rest of the world on South Africa uh, because of all the apartheid policies going on at the time. However, it ended up being well-received both critically and, well, financially. Yep. <laughs> uh, Call Me Al was the big hit from that album and also the song from my uh, wedding video. And for some reason, when my son was younger, he called it Poppy Song. Oh, it's Poppy Song. Probably because you just danced around singing it all the time. Call Me Al. I never did. Never did. That, that's the old uh, Chevra Cadabra. <laughs> the uh, Steely Dan and Buna got Buna! Taste, tasted that. So did uh, Fox Late Night. That tasted the old Chevra Cadabra. There was there was one like he I think he kind of helped at least one artist have a career uh, in the, in in the West and that was the South African vocal group Lady Smith Black Mambazo who kind of they, they would they would go on tours in the West uh, despite the fact that they sing a good chunk of their songs in Zulu and to my ears are not super interesting. Well, that was one of the bands that he'd heard on the original cassette I mentioned. Right, right. Tracked them down specifically so we could work. With them, I'd see I, that. I'd see that group. Yeah, yeah. I'd feel, I, you can feel those vocal, those deep vocals in your chest. Mm -hmm. It's very powerful. It's very rhythmic. Mm -hmm. It's almost the tone. Good. The tone gets down into your bones. Mm -hmm. Tones in your bones. If only Dave could speak Zulu, he'd find out that they were uh, the old bone tone. They, they were. Uh, they were talking about themselves. <laughs> they were bragging about. <laughs> they were bragging themselves. about themselves and and they, singing oh. the praises of Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> <laughs> it's good music. There was actually a, a Jimmy Buffett song about Africa. <laughs> you left it off? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, what's the name of it, Dave? I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> Anything else in this one, guys? Eh. 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 Number one. Excited? <laughs> Anyone that knows me knows who this is going to be. The Queers? Must be a punk band. Must be a punk band because it's the only bit music you like now. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, this looks uh, looks like we won that uh, debate episode after all. This is Neil Diamond with, yeah, with Suleiman. Mm-hmm. This is the one that kind of inspired the whole uh, genre for me. Uh, this also predated uh, Western music, mu music, music, <laughs> magicians. You know, my dad could never say that word, and no, I guess I inherited stroke. it. Yeah, it was before he had oh, a stroke. Okay. Um, but the um, this wait, was, hold on. Yeah, I can't believe you picked punk over Neil Diamond. I am so disappointed in you. I, I don't know what Hunter, you're thinking. It was crazy. It wasn't solely based on the music. It was based on the arguments that were presented. <sighs> That was weird because JD and I presented better arguments. No, uh, we really, really did. didn't. We really didn't. <laughs> no, you were sitting there being all shitty, and JD was like, "I hate whatever he hated at the time." But I was hoping that Dave would would choose from his heart, not based on the arguments in the room that day. So we got to do it again. Dave Holmes, <laughs> get in here. Get out from under that chair. We're <laughs> do uh, it again. God, listen to this. I know it's so fantastic. I love the Lion King. Did you say the name of this? God. Yeah, Suleiman. Okay. 
And just listen to it. It's his steel fucking diamond. It's his voice. It's like a black hole. It swallows all musical styles and spits out pure Neil. Yeah. It's not even Africa Dabberism you into his. No. Those pipes. No. We worked so hard to find a Neil Diamond yacht rock song, but we couldn't because yeah, we it's, found it's one? so Neil Diamond. I know, but it was like wasn't it it's wasn't like quite 60, what we wanted to between be. Between fifty yeah. and sixty. Yeah. Uh, oh, here's a fun fact. Um, this album was arranged by Marty Page. He worked uh, with Frank Sinatra, Stan Kenton, Ella Fitzgerald, Michael Jackson, and had a son named David Page who co-founded Toto. There's your Africa bookend. Hmm. You did it, Dave. You tied it all in a big ass circle. An African bookend sounds like something like our parents would get on their trip to Africa. <laughs> yeah, all right. Back to get you. And then when you got it, you see the same one at World Market or uh, Pier One, and it's made in China. Yeah. Oh, no. I think African, uh, bookend. African bookend sounds like sexy time with a couple brothers. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. All right. You know, fired on all cylinders here. Fun fact: uh, Neil has an evil brother who actually records in Africa, and he uses slave musicians. It's disgusting. His name is Blood Diamond. <laughs> ah. Never buys music. It's only available at De Beers and Jarrett. Kanye had a song about Blood Diamonds, and I was listening to it and going through it, and it starts with this very deep, like, sort of talking about. The terror of blood diamonds, but then the entire song is Kanye talking about himself and how hard it is to be famous. And his mm-hmm. and his thousand uh, dollar tennis shoes. Yeah, and throw your diamonds up in the air, and sometimes you throw a tantrum like a three year old. And his five hundred dollar white T shirt. That I like Kanye. His music is interesting, and he never does reggae. Huh. Mm-hmm. Anything okay. else on this song? Really fellas? good points. Uh, Neil Diamond had gone to Africa. He studied African culture at the Kenyan Mission, the United Nations, and at UCLA. He became enamored with music in 1970 and incorporated into his very experimental album, Taproot Manuscript. It was his most successful album to date and had a string of hits, including Cracklin' Rose, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, Done Too Soon, and of course, Suleiman. Awesome. What didn't make the list? I'll go first. Uh, this playlist has me thirsty for some rusted root. I don't know how African they are, but you know what? Fuck it. I've got control of the playlist. Oh, what are you doing? Rusted Root makes me laugh. (laughs) So let's play us out, Rusted Root. This sounds like some drum circle shit. Simiumawee. Simiumawee. Steve, what didn't make the list? Uh, I'm going to go with Hustle, three exclamation points, subtitled Dead On It by James Brown. It's apparently uh, another direct ripoff of an African song, uh, again from Cameroon. That song was Hot Cokie by Andre. Andre Marie Talla, who had to sue James Brown to get writing credit. Hmm. Uh, Hunter? Uh, <laughs> anything by Oingo Boingo? Uh, Danny Elfman learned uh, rhythm in West Africa in the 70s, came back and changed the direction of the band to the Mystic Knights of Oingo Boingo. He modeled them after the African band High Life? West African band High Life? So let's say Dead Man's Party, because I like that song. You know, I, looked, I looked into that one. Interesting choice, Hunter, but if you paid attention at the beginning of the episode, Dave said that this music is not in a band's wheelhouse, and to say anything Thing by Oingo Boingo means it is in fact their wheelhouse, yeah. and you picked wrong. Much, yeah. much like Vampire Weekend, you picked uh, wrong. Uh, what? Uh, hey, you fucked up. You shit the bed, Hunter. Join no, us. I didn't. Join us next week, episode forty-five. Wild in the fives. We're gonna take a look at this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees, and each of us are gonna argue for our favorites to make it into the hall. We'll try to sway some snooty voters. Because they're all listening to our podcast, even though they're snooty. I bet some are. If you're a snooty voter, email us and let us know how swayable you are. So <laughs> find this week's Africadabra playlist by following J.D. Rizner on Spotify. Go to yarrock.com to buy t-shirts, read the captain's blog, and see show notes by Tim Malcolm. Follow him on Twitter at Timothy Malcolm for fun facts. Send questions via Twitter at Yacht Rock. Follow me, J.D. at J.D. Rizner. Follow Hollywood. Steve at Hollywood Steve H. Follow Dave at David underscore B underscore Lions. Follow Hunter at Hunter Stare. Like Yacht Rock on Facebook. 
rate and review us on iTunes. Your reviews help us pick up the heat. So please take the time today to write us a review because we, we're cold. Thanks to DJ Empirical at DJ Empirical on Twitter for sending the bumpers. It's very appropriate, huh, since Africa has such an empirical history. Yes, it definitely happened empirically. Is that the same as Empire? Empirically? No, one's an I, one's an E. Really? I think so. It's true. You're right. Uh, additional bumpers by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Thanks to producer Dustin Marshall for not Afro-canceling our podcast. <laughs> Wordplay. Uh, Everyone loves it. Check out other Four feral dudes. Uh, check out other Talking feral. about Africa. <laughs> Trying to read a sentence. We're, this podcast was from the perspective of four guys who've never been to Africa, okay? Making fun of people who took the time to have the cultural experience of going to Africa. <laughs> and most of whom are extremely charitable towards that country. Check out other Feral Audio podcasts at feralaudio.com. Buy a tree. <laughs> be charitable. Don't be a Riznar. <laughs> That's true on a lot of levels. Simeon away. So this song isn't in their wheelhouse? What? He's not calling this oh. Africadabra. He just wanted to hear the I song. Hear the oh, song. Oh. And he's got the. He brought his laptop, so he can. Simeon Mui. 